If you love comedy movies and Hollywood satire, you're going to want to listen to a brand new podcast called Get It to Dutch. In Get It to Dutch, we play three aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a script to big-time Hollywood producer Dutch Huxley. Each week on the podcast, we perform a movie script right before your ears. It's like going to a movie with your eyes closed. And we have amazing guest stars, including Tim Robinson, Rob Hubel, Lily Sullivan, Jamie Moyer, and Weird Al Yankovic. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. everybody and welcome here we are the office deep dive and as always it is me your host brian baumgartner i'm glad you made it why well because today i would like to continue on the theme of last week's best ofs because i want to give the best to the best that's right i'm saying you're the best And I am here to bring you more of my favorite moments from my last round of interviews. It's going to be a journey featuring some of your favorite office cast and crew. So buckle up, strap it on, get ready to dive in. And where better to start than with the man who's been described as a teacher, a mentor, a role model, the office dad, and of course, the world's best boss. Here is Steve Carell on who Michael Scott is and what The Office would be like today. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning left over from the night before. As an actor, do you always search 
for the good and the character that you're portraying? Sure, I think you have to. I do too. Because otherwise you're just demonizing or judging the people that you're playing. And if you're judging a character that you're playing, you're going to play it differently. Mm -hmm. You don't want to editorialize about a, a character you're playing, I think. 100%. Yeah. I th I think Michael's decent, a, a decent dude with a lot of heart. But he's so, based on his childhood, based on all sorts of things and things that he had lacked growing up, things that he was, I felt he was deprived of. He was so hungry for acceptance, but I don't think he had the strongest templates in the world to go by. But I think he also learned and evolved and um, became a better person along the way. And he was just a bit, a bit myopic and became more aware once he sort of was able to start stepping outside of himself and his own little eccentricities, he could see a little bit more about the world around him. Yeah. I think one of the things about Michael is he's actually, this, and in terms, my interpretation of him, I feel like he would look out at all the people who worked with him. And it's like he would put his foot in his mouth all the time. But in a lot of ways, I don't think he ever valued one person or type of person over any other. And in that way, I think he, he was a very pure character because he's very dumb in terms of political correctness and being appropriate in public. Right. But at the same time, I don't, I just don't think there was hardness in his heart towards anyone. Yes, I and, agree with uh, that. He, I think a person with a, an enormously good, kind heart who lacked a great deal of information yeah. about the world around him and was as asleep in a woke world as you could be. <laughs> right. But trying his best. Trying his best. And actually, there's a difference between being intolerant and being ignorant. And, and sometimes intolerance and ignorance go hand in hand, for sure. They, they do. But I think he was a, a decent human being, really. Yeah. He just didn't get it all the time. Um, when the show was happening, my mom and dad, they had friends. And they would say... Oh, we can't watch that show. Like that Michael Scott, he, I, he makes me too uncomfortable. I can't watch that. And I always felt that this was, came from a place of, of deep insecurity or mm -hmm. like misogynistic or racist or homophobic feelings within themselves. Like that's why it was uncomfortable at times. Mm -hmm. And then you came out. Thanks a lot for saying this. I get asked about it all the time. <laughs> that the show could never be made now. This was, I, that's and, and, not exactly what I said. Okay, but. well, that's great because I have always said <clears throat> that I thought that Steve was misquoted in this Yeah, that's thing. not, I don't know. I don't know if it could be made now. Maybe it could. I, I guess my point was that, I think what I was trying to say was that that exact same show probably wouldn't be made today. But with the same components, the same actors, the same writers, if it were to come back, it would evolve into the 2020 version of what we did back then. I mean, 
I think the writing would be a bit different in today's climate, but I don't think it would be any less insightful. I don't think it would be any less smart or any less funny. It would just be different. Right. That's all. I, I just, oh, that's totally fair. And I do think it would be different. Yeah. I, and I think, I mean, Michael Scott would be much more tuned in to what it is to be woke. He would not understand it necessarily, right. but he would be, the comedy would be coming from his struggle to understand and fit into the world as we know it today. Because the world as we knew it 15 years ago is different than it is today. But you know, you take that same character who is trying to speak the language of modern times. Right. That can be very funny, but it would just be different. It would just be a different set of rules for today. Right. But I don't know. I am. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I think it's easy to say that you can't be funny. You can't do comedy this day and age. I, I think that's a bit of a cop out. Because, you know, every time you turn around, there is somebody coming up with something that is of the time and inventive and doesn't uh, shirk away from our responsibility to look in the mirror. I think it just I think it just takes a level of intelligence to be able to do that. Now, Steve may be kind and self-reflective and understanding. But Michael Scott wasn't always, at least not to one particular HR rep. So when it was time for me to talk to Paul Lieberstein, I couldn't wait to ask him about being the man that everyone loved to hate. There's another relationship that I think was maybe my favorite uh, in the show. Will you uh, play that clip? Why are you the way that you are? Honestly, every time I try to do something fun or exciting, you make it not that way. I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. <laughs> I mean, that, that, when was the idea for that born? It wasn't born in diversity. Steve day. wrote that. Steve wrote that yeah. speech? Yeah. He hated it. <laughs> and when I was watching some of those things last night, I mean, his face, anytime he is looking at you and angry at you in a way is, is completely trans. He almost looks like a different person and he's, his energy. And at one point he's like, I hate your lemon head or it's just like crazy. It's like I'm a Nazi and he thinks he's doing the, a service to the world by hating me. Well, that well, that's the other famous one, right? Like, if I had two bullets, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there was Hitler, Bin Laden, and Toby, I would use both bullets and kill Toby. Shoot Toby twice. I think it happened in um, Meredith's birthday, and we all had to sign that card. So I just had to go in and sign. Oh, can I have the card and sign something really quickly and leave? And he would just watch me do it the whole time. Take after take, he was just standing there watching and he told me afterwards that he he felt like the hate for me just just well up inside him during these takes <laughs> so it was so from that moment is that why you guys decided to to write that story in or to continue that i, I you know a lot of it he did would, it come from steve i think the power of it came from steve you know and he would always do more 
Like even starting with diversity day, it was just supposed to say, you know, get out or something like that. But he did more. He relished the moment and played with it. And I think he continues to do that and really, you know, when we had these 36 minute cuts and had to decide what would stay, when Steve loved something, he, he, the performance would be amazing. And I think that's what helped so much of the Toby Michael stuff stay. Right, just his pure power. In just the moment. pure power of his, like, yeah, being, being the Corel genius. Oh, yes, the power of hatred. Never thought I'd say that on this podcast. But Toby wasn't the only thing that brought out the best in Steve. He was so consistently, so amazing to work with. Every scene, every day. Here's what Craig Robinson had to say. Daryl's relationship with Michael in the show, it was a very, like he kept coming to you for advice, particularly on black culture. It was a very, very funny dynamic. What was your experience working with Steve? Uh, he's the greatest. The way he could turn that comedy button off and on like a faucet was um, just genius to me. Whenever I had a scene with him, oh man, that was like titillation. It was like, holy, you know, very exciting. And I, I learned from him, stole from him, all of that. Yeah. It's funny that you said, you said that because I thought you were going to say something else, which I think is also true, is part of his genius is how he turns so quick, even within a scene. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, he, is, he is fighting down one path and something may happen and he just turns it like that. And he's like, you know, ultimate scene partner too. He listens and reacts to, you know, what's going on. Like we had a scene that I didn't even really notice until it aired. It was a negotiation. Okay. That might be my favorite episode just because the work I did with Steve and being able to play with him like that. It was a scene where he's like, I'm not going to speak first, like right. decline to speak first. So we did a couple of takes and it was fine. Da, da, da. And then he did this next take and he'd start making these faces. And if you look closely, you could see me start to crack a smile on that. But um, <laughs> it was just like, without even speaking, he, he could, you know, pull this out of you. The laughter is like, oh, he's about to get me. But also in that episode, when I was saying uh, the way he listens and, you know, like the perfect improvisation partner, you listen and then take it to the next level. So we were talking about, you know, getting a raise from Jan. I said, make it happen, Captain. And he said, I will, Sergeant. <laughs> oh, my God damn. Amazing. Uh, do you think that your relationship with him evolved? Throughout the show? Yeah, but I think everybody's, everybody evolved in, in that show. Everybody went through character development. Um, you know, that's one of the things that makes it what it is. You know, people got to know these people. Right. But yeah, I think every, every situation evolved to something. I mean, you started out and your episodes were mainly about like the office versus the warehouse, whether directly in basketball or like a weird class thing where you have like the white collar and the blue collar. 
talk to me about the transition for you character wise or as an actor of you finally coming up and being a regular part of like the bullpen character wise um it felt like like it did in real life like oh man they they making you a a regular right. <laughs> you know what i'm saying so it was definitely a, a move on up for for Craig and for Daryl right you know and it was like more responsibility and Rain used to say I had the sweetest schedule in Hollywood because I would come in for like an episode here and then four weeks later I'd come in and do the Christmas episode. Right. But uh <laughs> yeah, character wise it, it was it was like, yeah, a step up and oh okay, they're starting to see, you know, starting to film it. Hey, everyone, this is Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey. I'm Mark. I'm Greg. I'm Brendan. And in this new comedy podcast, the three of us play aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a hit Hollywood script to famous producer Dutch Huxley. Well, I would say one of us is aspiring and the other two are sort of struggling. Which one of us is aspiring? No, they're going to have to listen to the podcast. Hmm. But I don't know. And I made the podcast. Well, I made the podcast. And I think you guys were along for the ride. Each week we bring in a script, we read it, and then we give each other notes. And you'll also hear about our adventures navigating the Hollywood uh, system. The show features amazing guests like Tim Robinson, Lily Sullivan, Weird Al Yankovic, and Rob Hubel. Like any great blockbuster, it's filled with heartbreak, adventure, suspense, and just a little tasteful nudity. And some distasteful nudity. Sorry about that, guys. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey, starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name is Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. 
It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Look, I know I've said it a million times, so it should go without saying that we all loved working with Steve. But there was a time when we didn't get to do that anymore. That was a bit of a shock for us. We were excited and we trusted the process, but we were all scared, too, and we all dealt with it differently. Kate Flannery talked to me about her, how do I say, her particular process of handling the news the day she heard it. What do you remember about finding out that Steve was leaving? Uh, I literally was with Creed. We were on the set of the office doing like a satellite press junket. <laughs> um, and we and they had announced it that morning. So every venue wanted to talk about it. And I was like, no! Because, of course, it was emotional. I mean... Who are we if we're not, I mean, if Michael Scott, you know, Michael Scott is Thunder Rivlin. He is the office. Um, yeah, I, I was so freaked out. And literally, I, I told Creed, I'm like, okay, anytime they talk about this, just just pretend like we can't hear the feed. Like, I think the feed's going, I'm sorry, I'm getting some interference. What was the question? Wishing them all the best. Like, I, we had this little thing where we would figure out how to get out of the conversation. So. <laughs> wow. But I was I was definitely freaked out. And I mean, the great thing the great thing about our show is that I feel like Greg Daniels is so trustworthy and I feel like he's picked so many great writers and I feel like if anything could have survived a couple more years without Steve Carell, it was because of Greg Daniels. But I was nervous. I was, and I was nervous about Spader um, just because he's not a comedy guy. I mean, he's brilliant, uh, but he's not a comedy guy. And I kind of had this little thing like, oh no, he's holding the baby. He's going to drop the baby. Don't drop the baby. And also I was intimidated because he's a, he's like a movie star. And I had seen so many, all of his movies. And, um, you know, and there was so much sexual tension between the two of us. Sorry. So much so sexual tension. So much. But, oh there, but I felt like there was sexual tension between me and Spader. There, there, there probably even more, even more. No, seriously, sure. Spader he loved and you. Yeah. anyone Right. Yeah. There's sexual yeah, tension. This is true. Um, the season eight Christmas episode, there was one take where he's sort of like in uh, Meredith thinks she's actually maybe gonna go to dinner with him or something like that. She's got a chance with him, and he sort of touches her cheek like no, 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 and she goes to hug me, and I literally one take I grabbed his ass, and then I was like immediately when we stopped, I was like I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just felt like oh my god. He goes no. He goes that was the right thing to do. <laughs> They didn't end up using it, but I was like, don't grab James Spader's ass, Kate. What the fuck is wrong with you? so amazing. <laughs> I was so nervous. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Hey, listen. Navigating on-set relationships can be weird for anyone. 
And I'm sure it doesn't help when you're playing Meredith Palmer. But, hey, sounds like he was A-OK with your decisions, Kate. Now, when Jenna sat down with me, we talked a lot about her own relationships with the cast. In particular, Pam's relationship with Dwight and her personal relationship with Rain. Okay, so I talked again about sort of that emotional core, Dwight. Talk to me a little bit about the relationship between the two of you and how that changed and evolved. I mean, you were with Jim adversaries. He made you crazy forever. And then ultimately by the end, he says that you're his best friend. Dwight does? Dwight does. Oh. You know, I think it's that first episode, The Injury, when Pam has that line, Dwight is kind of my friend. But I think there's other things, you know, Jim and Pam spend so much time teasing Dwight. And I think even go too far a few times in my rewatching of the show. I think there's a few times when we're, we're like actually a little cruel to him that make me cringe. And I feel like, oh, that wasn't our best moment. But I appreciate because we allow our characters to, we, I mean, we don't all every day have perfect moments, right? Right. But it's so hard for me to think about Pam's relationship with Dwight without thinking about my relationship to Rain. Right. Rain is a deeply soulful person. He's also like a curmudgeonly old man. He's real cranky sometimes. And on set, he would (laughs) be hilarious. Do you remember the time? Do you remember the time that he declared... Oh, my God. It was so funny. We were getting ready to shoot, and he said, hold on, wait. Just hold on. Everybody hold on for a second. I have an announcement. Everyone, on Mondays, you do not need to ask me how my weekend was anymore. All right? Every single person asked me how my weekend was. Just assume it was fine. We were like, where is this coming from, Ray? Well, I, I, it was so I, I, and I, I talked to him about this, and he goes, Jenna, that is not true. I said that on a Tuesday. I said, only ask me how my weekend was on Mondays. No more of this bleeding into Tuesday. Monday's enough. He went crazy because, no, and, and I know what he was talking about. I do, too. It's, because it's 5 o'clock in the morning, and every single person that you pass is like, Hello, good morning. How was your weekend? Yes. And he, what he was saying was like, you don't have to talk to me. We yeah. just saw each other on Friday night. Yes. We're good. We're good. Yes. It's so true. So he would be like that guy on the set. It was like so funny. But then at the same time, in moments of deep crisis, I have phoned him. I, I had a job offer that was going to take me out of town and would uproot my family for a period of time that I really wrestled with the decision. I called him, and he counseled me. He is he has that in him, a type of counselor. And um, I value him so deeply in my life. <laughs> but then, like, like, he'll call me up, and he'll be like, do you want to go to lunch? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, because you sound like you want to go so bad. <laughs> Like, is it a chore? Or do you want to go? He's like, no, I want to have lunch with you. I'm like, all right, let's go to lunch. And then you go to lunch. And I'm just sort of like, are you liking our lunch? Are we having a good lunch? How are you? Tell me about you. And all Hello. This, hi. Yeah. Hey. Hey. <laughs> so good. funny. But then, like, if I were to – do you know what I mean? So it's very much like the Pam Dwight where Pam will, like – be like, oh, I love Dwight. I'm going to go say something nice to him. And then he'll just be like, Pam, 
something about knives. Yeah. Something about snakes <laughs> or bears. And she's like, yeah, okay, right, okay. But so I guess um, I feel deeply loved by Rain, and I think Pam felt deeply loved by Dwight as well. Like, they had a real bond. They they really cared for one another. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's similar to your relationship with Michael, right? I mean, from where that relationship started and him fake firing you to him leaving and you you having sort of that final moment mm-hmm. with him. Um, what did he say to you? Well, it wasn't so much what he said to me. Um, Paul Feig directed that episode, Goodbye, Michael, and uh, – we were at the airport, and Paul Feig said, Jenna, I want you to just run up and just say goodbye to Steve, your friend Steve. This is your last scene with him. So say goodbye. We're not going to use the sound. We're just going to have a spy shot on you. So I thought, okay. So I ran up to Steve, and I just told him all the ways I was going to miss him and how grateful I was for his friendship and the privilege of working with him. And I'm sobbing, and he's sobbing, and we're hugging, and and I didn't want to let him go, and I didn't want the scene to end. And then finally, Paul Feig, you know, says cut, and he was like, Jenna, that was that was brilliant. Can you do it again, but just a little faster? Because it had been like five minutes. <laughs> he was like, we just need to tighten it up a little. <laughs> Because they wanted him to actually walk he, away. He had to go eventually. So they, and they had one camera. Yeah. So there was only one shot. It that was they a wonder. That they couldn't edit. Yeah. And so, oh, that is so great. Yeah, I was like, just tighten it up a little. <laughs> but sweetie, great job. Like, as you could tell, I was like sobbing. Well, if that's not an indication of how much we all meant to each other, well, then maybe this next clip will be. Claire Scanlon wasn't part of the cast, but she was an essential part of our crew, starting out as an editor and moving on to directing episodes of the show. And she certainly felt the love we had for each other. So you learned to edit scripted shows on The Office, but really coming from, you know, documentaries, specifically comedy documentaries, this felt comfortable. Yeah. And also, by the way, like that same camaraderie that led to such a strong ensemble, it extended through. I remember talking to John about this one time, and we were just sitting, I think he directed an episode. You know, I I was ahead, so I would come to set and be like, John, I think you need to get this shot. You know, like, you need to get this, because otherwise, how do we, it was the bulldozer. Rain was taking a bulldozer in the warehouse and smashing it oh, okay. to the wall. And you needed the reverse, and, and I was like, I think you need that reverse. And we were in there, and, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no ego. Like, it was fine for me to tell John that he needed this shot. Like, I would come to set a lot. Dave would come to set a lot. And there was, like, that's not normal, like, that you always are inviting that. By the way, I always ask the editor to come to set. Why wouldn't I want an extra pair of eyes that might be catching something? Because I'm in the thick of it with 500 other questions. Like, why wouldn't I want someone having my back? It's just a lovely thing to have. It's not about ego or power being an auteur. There's no such thing, first of all. But with John, we were cutting his episode, and I remember just being like, this is such a cool place to work. Like, uh, being just truly grateful. And I was like, I am happy to come in here every day. And I was like, he's like, yeah. He's like, there's not one person like that you want to, like, put your head down when you see them walking down the hallway. He's like, there's not one person that I'm like, oh, avoid, like, where you're, like, in high school or, 
your first job or something, or like, oh, that person sucks. He's like, there's not one person. There were over a hundred people there, and he couldn't come. And we, by the way, we were totally gossiping. Like, right. he could have told me. Like, there was no reason. There's no. I mean, I wouldn't tell this story right. if he actually named somebody. Obviously, right. but like, we were like, come on, there's got to be somebody. Like, everyone had their charm. You yeah. know, like everyone had the quirks, their picadillos. Greg could drive me crazy, sure, and I would talk to him about it. But like, that's crazy right there. Like. The showrunner could drive me crazy, and then I could say, Greg, you're driving me crazy. Like, I remember right. on the finale, there was this whole tangent, and I'm sure you'll remember this, about planting a tree. Yes. Andy sees a tree in the office and says, that tree- Planty. Planty. Yes, exactly. Planty. Planty has been in here all its life. We've got to set Planty free. And you guys go out to the parking lot, you plant planty, and then you go all the way back up to the office, and then the ending, and you hug, and then you go to the parking lot, and you go to your respective cars, and that's right. truly the end of leaving Dunder Mifflin. And um, I was writing notes down, and we were over time for the finale, and we were all, Greg was incredibly emotional, but doing that guy thing where you don't let on that you're emotional, so you're just kind of weird, <laughs> you know, like, where you're just like... Erratic and sometimes irrational, but like what you really want to say is I'm really sad, but you're not going to say those words because you're a guy. So I was just taking out notes. We were too long and I'd already pitched to cut Planty and I truly believed. He said, okay, why don't we try cutting Planty? And I wrote it down and I did it. And it was better because, not because that whole storyline wasn't interesting, but it was just almost just the physicality of being in the office, having Creed play the song, and then taking Planty down to the parking lot. And it was like a hiccup to something wonderful. You didn't need that hiccup. It just it was just an unnecessary extra beat. As sweet and poignant as it was, there were already like 10 sweet and poignant moments that were happening with Creed's song. And right, right. too much poignancy diluted what was there. So I cut Planty. And Howard happened to be walking by. And I, I showed it to Howard. And Greg's assistant, Alyssa, was also walking by. And I showed it to her. And they both separately went to Greg and said, oh my God, it's so much better without Planty. And he came storming into my bay and he said, you, you couple, put that back in. How dare you? Da, da, da. I never, you're sabotaging me. You're trying to get, and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He was at a hundred. I was like, bring it down. I said, first of all, I would never intentionally do something to sabotage you. That I was like, if you don't know that about me by now, I am just, I am not that person. Right. I'm just, I don't even think I could sabotage someone right. if I tried, like if that was my goal. I said, you created this show. I am here to service what you created and help you realize what you want. And he calmed down. <laughs> like he, I was like, right. so first let's get this paranoia <laughs> out. I said, they happened to be walking by, which was true on both counts. They happened to be by, and that would happen all the time, by the way. Oh, you would sure. Come, we would just be walking by with our doors open because it would get insufferably hot. And interesting things happen. I would walk by people's bays and poke my head in. It was just a very inclusive environment. When people were waiting for their next scene and they were bored of being in their trailer, they'd come and show yes. me something. And it wasn't show me myself. It was like, hey, what you got that's funny? Show me a funny scene. Like, I just want to see what's going on on the show. Like, right. actors would come in all the time. So he said, okay, well, show me. And then I showed it to him, and he's like, okay, leave it out. <laughs> but, like, it was like I had to talk him off a ledge. I think that's what makes him so interesting is he does clearly have, and I think it was for the better, ultimately, for the show, this, I don't want to say inferiority complex, but this, like, 
someone's always going to try to get one over on me kind of thing going on. Like, and you're just, you almost have to like, like with every coworker and or boss, I think you kind of have to just to really get to know their psychology. And you're working with this, you know, 800 pound gorilla, Greg Daniels, who's so, so, so smart and so funny that like to stand up to him requires some chutzpah on your own. Right, and right. it's kind of empowering. And I always did it. I didn't, Always, you know, I had confidence in what he had created, so I wanted to make sure it was the best version of what was written and acted. And I'd, I'd make good arguments, and then he'd make great counter arguments. We have a really good discourse to get to Locke, and I think that was also very unique and special. You know, I always have Greg in my head when I'm directing because I heard his opinion on everybody else's. You know, as an editor, I heard what he thought of every director, and he thought the world of many, and then, like— Sometimes he'd be like, how could they not have gotten that? Like, and I always in my mind, like, let's just do one more, like thinking like, what didn't I get? What would Greg be like? How come they could not have gotten that? You know, I always want to have that right. showrunner in the back of my head saying, and that showrunner's voice, because Greg was my first, is always Greg. Hey everyone, this is Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey. I'm Mark. I'm Greg. I'm Brendan. And in this new comedy podcast, the three of us play aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a hit Hollywood script to famous producer Dutch Huxley. Well, I would say one of us is aspiring and the other two are sort of struggling. Which one of us is aspiring? No, they're going to have to listen to the podcast. Hmm, but I don't know, and I made the podcast. Well, I made the podcast, and I think you guys were along for the ride. Oh. Each week, we bring in a script, we read it, and then we give each other notes. And you'll also hear about our adventures navigating the Hollywood cesp- uh, system. The show features amazing guests like Tim Robinson, Lily Sullivan, Weird Al Yankovic, and Rob Hubel. And like any great blockbuster, it's filled with heartbreak, adventure, suspense, and just a little tasteful nudity. And some distasteful nudity. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that, guys. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey, starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, 
further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. You know, I don't think that there's a single person who worked on The Office that hasn't been forever changed by it. When we started, we were all just trying to find our footing, right? And then we created this beautiful thing together that we were all so proud of. Here's Phyllis on what it was like when the day we were dreading finally came. You know, when you you talked about when the show ended in uh, after the ninth season, that was a tough, tough night, especially when Creed started singing. But it, for me, it was really tough. Like months later, after the show had ended, and we generally would go back to work around July or August, that's when it set in that, oh, this is life's different now. <laughs> you know, we're not going back. Yeah. Yeah. When I sat down with Greg before that last season or moving into the finale and we started talking about, you know, my life's journey at that point through the office and Kevin and my experience was um, people feeling like they knew me and specifically feeling like I was the guy that they wanted to get a drink with. Oh. And I I said something to him like, Greg, I can't go into a bar without getting bought multiple drinks uh-huh. like they just come to the point i say no no I, i'm good no thank you no i'm, I'm, I'm good <laughs> I'm now good, I'm I, good, I, I gotta good. i gotta stop now guys at least people that call you kevin you know that they know you from the show right <laughs> you me when people say phyllis i have to think for a moment okay do i have our paths crossed for a, a moment do i know you or but in reality, I do know them, or they know me because I've been in their bedroom and their living room and their kitchen and before they go to work and as they go to sleep. And so we are a part of our fans' lives, you know? Absolutely. But at least you can decipher yours a little better with Kevin and, <laughs> and Brian. That's true. I never <laughs> thought about that before. Phyllis or Creed or Oscar, Oscar. or... Angela, yeah. And especially if they say, oh, I saw you at, and I'm thinking, okay, now did I, you know, did I go to school with them or what? Right. That's actually the most difficult, well, I have two difficult fan interactions. One is I'll be at a, 
at a serious place of business, like like in a thing and I'm meeting someone or I have a good friend who's introducing me to a good friend who says like, oh, we've met before, right? <laughs> yeah. And I immediately go, no, I know we haven't. <laughs> and I know why you think, think that I we've knew. met before. Right, right. But then to say that, you become like, I don't know, douchey. A, right, You're like, right. no, well, I was on a television show. You know, like, so this is an actual thing. You guys, I don't know if it's fiction blurring with reality or what, but a lot of people confuse us for their real life friends. And I'm not saying we, sh we shouldn't be friends or we wouldn't be friends. I'm just saying that I have never met you before. When I talked to John, he had some really great insight as to why this phenomenon continues to take place. You obviously wildly successful when people approach you now what percentage of it is about the office oh large majority again i think it's the difference between fans who feel like they're a part of something and fans who have watched something i think there's very few things that i watched when i was a kid that i felt so connected to it was more like oh i like the movie et but there were very few things that I felt like if I ever saw that person, we shared a life moment together. Had right. I ever met Chris Farley, I would have said that because I watched Tommy Boy yes. so many times that he didn't know he was my best friend, but he was my best friend. So I think that thing is like I shared so much of my life with that show. That's why I think that people, you know, people have seen other things, which is great. Certainly recently, like I think Quiet Place and Jack Ryan, people are coming up a lot more, but I, I think our fans see me and instead of going up to an actor to get a picture or something, they're actually seeing a friend of theirs is my point. Yeah. My long meandering point is no one looks at Jack Ryan and is like, oh my God, my buddy Jack Ryan. Oh my God, you're an actor. I didn't realize. Right. They do think that with Jim. Yes. And I've had the, my favorite experiences with fans is when they think we've gone to school together yes. or something. That's my favorite. Yeah. Like I, I had one where a woman said, we know each other. And I said, do we? And she goes, we went to school together. And I was like, I don't, I don't think we did. And she went, yes, we did. And it was like that thing of like, why am I being awkward about it? And I went, where did you go to school? And she said some school. And I went, I did not go to that school. And she went, yes, you did. <laughs> and like, I was like, okay. And then I left and I could see that either someone else, yeah, someone else had been like, you don't know that person. You just thought that it was at the airport bookshop. And then through the window, you saw them being like, in silence being like oh no oh god it was it's great but i think that that's such a credit to the show that you don't just like the show you actually think you know those people yes because i i um by the way i'm not necessarily comparing you to ted danson oh, in exactly the it. same way no but i just mean like ted danson was doing a lot of stuff and immediately after cheers but there was something about cheers sam alone that everything else not even that other things wouldn't have been as good or better, but Cheers was what I shared. Yeah, of. because there was a purity to that experience that you had watching. Same with me. I mean, I was I grew up in Boston. Like Cheers was a form of, <laughs> of like television religion or something. Yeah, I, I I will take a comparison to Ted Danson anytime. Mm, then I won't do that again. Oh damn it! Here, put on these earphones. I want you to hear something. I'm playing something for everybody. Oh boy. Um, we should have had these on the whole time. I would have. I would have changed my voice for the whole thing. Play. Um, 
don't ever, ever, when I have earphones <laughs> on and I have your tone right in my ear, don't talk low like that. When my voice slips around. Nope. I just sort of slips around. Mm -mm, I don't like oh, that in my yeah. ear. I don't like your voice slipping around in my ear. Um, will you play clip six for me? Clip six. I thought it was weird when you picked us to make a documentary. But all in all, I think an ordinary paper company like Dunder Mifflin was a great subject for a documentary. There's a lot of beauty in ordinary things. Isn't that kind of the point? So Greg wrote that. Clearly for him, that was the point. Mm -hmm. What did you think the point was? The point of what? Shooting the show? The show, yeah. Sorry, I, my brain just exploded <laughs> again. Um, I think that that is, the, is so beautiful, that writing. And I would only suspect that it came from someone who created the show. Because someone who creates the show and doesn't just act on the show would have to have in their head a beginning, middle, and end. And you're shooting for something. And I, I love that that's what he was shooting for. What are you most thankful for? Oh, my God, everything. I mean, are you asking me as a person? Yeah. Well, I mean, without sounding hyperbolic, it's, it is my everything. I mean, that show changed my entire life. I was 23 when it started, so I hadn't even really formed an identity of who I was. And so that show, not only from a career perspective where I've had more opportunity than I ever would have dreamt of having for one day, I have for an entire lifetime, is all due to that show. I never would be doing any other thing that you've seen me do, writing, directing, acting, and something else, if it wasn't for that show. But as a person, I think it sort of gave me this very quintessential building block that I got to stand on to build the rest of my life. Yeah. You're, you're about to say that's all a crack of shit. No. What, what, what would you say? Well, I think it's very similar. I think I was processing what you were saying that because of the people who were working on it, not just the actors, but the writers who are mm -hmm. like all showrunners now. From the early season, you in, know, in Mike Shore. Yeah, like extremely successful, fun, good shows. It's, but also our crew, like you said, like, I, you know, again, in a very probably lame, cliche, Hallmark way, like, I don't know that as a person I would be able to have the luxury, forget, you know, success or finance or anything. It's the luxury of being who I wanted to be. I didn't know who I wanted to be. And because of such a warm environment where, if everyone had a color, people were splashing their experience and their colors all over me. I got exposed to everything I wanted to be and then got to choose to move forward with my life in a way that I not only didn't know existed, but that I could sustain. Like that you could, you could do fantastic, fun stuff every day for 10 years of your life. And genuinely, I've been asked, I'm sure you get asked all the time, what year were you guys all over it? Like, when were you guys like, ugh, we're over it? And I genuinely am trying not to look back with revisionist history. I don't remember one moment where I was like, ugh, such a job. This is such a, such a. Yeah, as far as jobs go, John, you're right. You can't beat it. And, and maybe that's obvious by now, as I've spent the last couple of years putting together this love story 
to the office. But thinking back on the very end, our last moments working together as one big happy family, there's no better way to bring me right back to that place. The moment the show was ending, than to listen to Creed Bratton sing All the Faces. Before the finale, did you have a conversation with Greg? Yes, yes. He oh. uh, he called me, uh, and you know, he'd asked everybody. He said, I want to know what your your feedback is. How do you think the, uh, the character Creed should leave? And I told him, uh, I thought of it for a while, and I said, I think this, this song of mine, All the Faces, I could be at Poor Richard's playing my guitar, you guys, the cast all walks in, and I'm singing all the faces, and uh, the camera comes in on each of you. And he said, I like that idea. That's the last I heard of it until the table read. And then I saw at that time, and I almost cried. I literally did, Brian. I went, oh, my God. I looked around. There was my guitar. I didn't know I was going to sing that song until the table read. That was the first time I heard about it. Really? They kept, they kept it, they kept it just as a surprise. It was emotional. Wait, they they had your guitar? Or yeah, was- no, the, the PA went and got my guitar and had it there. And I looked around like this and I went, oh, and I see reading the script. And I'm going, oh my God, I'm going to sing the song. And what? Greg's letting me sing my song. And I look around, they're, they're, all, they're standing back there smiling and they've got my guitar. They 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 planned this, you know. Will you play, <laughs> will you play a little bit for me? All right. <sighs> okay, I got to turn my phone on just for a second, guys, to uh, tune up this axe. See, this is the guitar I used actually on the, on the show. This this old Martin and John. Oh, here's a good story. John, we couldn't get the microphone on the thing in the shot, so Krasinski said he'd hold the the shotgun mic. He had it under his arm when we were recording. You couldn't hide a mic. I couldn't hide the mic for the guitar itself. And uh, then John said, "Well, I'll just hold the uh, this shotgun mic under my arm." Because he was the closest. Because he was the closest to me, and, yeah. so, and he was sitting there talking to, looking over at Pam. But all the time, he's holding it right there on the sound hole. Right. Yeah. He's a team player, that boy. We know that. All right, for you. I saw a friend today, it had been a while And we forgot each other's names But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feelings still remain the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between Angels we can see And all the faces that I know Have that same familiar glow I think I must have known them somewhere once before All the faces that I know All the faces we see each and every day When we get home at night There's one face we need 
when my mind's absorbed on my private little screen and I'm walking blind through a sea of unknown men I hear a voice reminding there across the street walks an old forgotten friend and we don't have to say a word it's really better left unsaid Lights through eyes that recognize all the faces I know, all the faces I know. And all the faces we see each and every day when we get home at night. faces I see each and every day when I get home at night the face I need when I get home at night you're the only face I so great dude <laughs> yeah it it um yeah it gets me every time wow it gets me every single time thank you creed and thank you everyone for being a part of this beautiful podcast. It has meant more to me than you will ever know. Thanks for tuning in once again and come back next week to hear from perhaps my most special guest of all, you. I'll see you then. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our producers are Liz Hayes and Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. If you love comedy movies and Hollywood satire, you're going to want to listen to a brand new podcast called Get It to Dutch. In Get It to Dutch, we play three aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a script to big-time Hollywood producer Dutch Huxley. Each week on the podcast, we perform a movie script right before your ears. It's like going to a movie with your eyes closed. And we have amazing guest stars, including Tim Robinson, Rob Hubel, Lily Sullivan, Jamie Moyer, and Weird Al Yankovic. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.